Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Just challenging yourself, I think, and others on on your assumptions that you're making about recruitment and filling, filling a role, uh, making sure you're not excluding people from um, opportunities. Today I'm talking to Sheila Ray, who is the internal regulator for nuclear integrity in the UK's National Nuclear Laboratory. Sheila lives in West Cumbria with her husband Ian and their teenage son, John. Welcome, Sheila. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Lovely. So, Sheila, um, you grew up in Scotland in Fort William. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what the younger Sheila was like at school and what she enjoyed. Um, I think I was probably fairly studious. I enjoyed um, math, chemistry, physics kind of subjects, but I also um, did quite a lot of music, um, played the piano and clarinet and sang in choirs and folk groups and things like that as well so quite a, a varied um, set of interests when I was uh, young. Yeah so you sort of you, you had like the sciencey mathsy side of of what you like but you also enjoyed some of the artistic things as well by the sound of it. Yeah yeah and music particularly I was never particularly good at math but I was never particularly very good at art but I did enjoy music. So was it an easy decision in terms of wanting to do chemical engineering at Strathclyde? I think it was really. Um, I did math, chemistry, physics at sixth year. Um, and um, so I think it was always going to be something involving those subjects. Um, I didn't want to do chemistry alone. Um, so I think I looked at applied chemistry. And then I discovered chemical engineering and thought, mm, actually, that's, that's the, uh, the avenue. Right. And how, how did you find moving from Fort William into Strathclyde? Well, it, it was fine, really. I mean, I was quite young. I was only 17 um, when I moved to, um, to Glasgow to do that. Uh, I probably helped my sister was already at Strathclyde. So that was a helping hand, um, a helping hand there in, into the university life. But I think uh, living in Fort William, you get in your mind that you're going to have to leave home fairly young to go to university anyway right and how did you find university did you uh, throw yourself into student life and then enjoy the studies and enjoy the social side and things I did enjoy university yeah I was in a, a, a halls residence to begin with which was brilliant because I met loads of people and people that I'm still friends with now um, which I think is an amazing uh, uh, legacy from going to university isn't it really to still have friends 20 odd years later um, but no I enjoyed university it was the uh, it was a, a great experience. And, and how do you think you changed at university? Because it's such a formative t- formative time, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think you have to learn to grow and uh, you know stand on your own two feet, don't you? You know, you've got your um, your work to get through in a much more um, mature way than you do at school. Uh, there's a lot of lessons. I mean, I think looking back, I probably would have done things a little bit differently. I, I probably didn't get as much. Um, out of the lecturers as I could have done um, because it's quite a, it's a different relationship isn't it it's a different way of working and, and then of course as you got later in the years you had to do design projects and things like that so that was working in groups working with others working in teams 
which again was a different style of learning. Yeah, and how did you find that working in teams? I think I probably found it fine at the time, but probably in hindsight, I think you could see that there was, um, uh, you know, elements of learning to work in teams and not everybody necessarily pulling their own weight um, and a bit of disgruntlement and things like that, which is quite, you probably don't realise that's what's happening when you're in the middle of it. Um, but looking backwards, you probably think, mm, yeah, there's a bit of um, forming and storming going on there. You Sometimes you feel it's not fair that the whole team is given one single mark when some of the work was done by more, by a few of them, you know, or some didn't turn up. I suspect all teams feel that a little bit, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a reasonable lesson for life, I suppose. Yes, yeah, it certainly is. Um, and what did you have in your mind in terms of a sort of career or first job? You know, as you, as you get into that sort of final year at university, you're starting to think about jobs and applying for things. What were the sort of things you were thinking about? Yeah, I was probably thinking, um, imagining myself kind of on a plant, on a on an operating plant, um, you know, in industry, um, chem- the, the chemical engineering industry at the time fully focused on oil and gas. So I probably imagined myself more on the oil and gas. I had done a summer placement at um, ESO uh, refinery at, um, down in Southampton, in Foley. Um, so I probably imagined myself doing something like that in, in truth. Um, when I came to apply for jobs, though, um, I was very open-minded, really, as to where I was going to work out. I, I really had in my mind that I just wanted to, to get started on working and get some experience under my belt. I didn't really mind where that was to a large extent because it was really just about get, starting to learn and starting to get that experience. Um, BNFL, British Nuclear Fuels, were um, advertising for graduates. Um, and I applied there. I applied to other um, graduate schemes as well. And uh, it came down to a choice. I got offered the, the, the BNFL one as well as another one that would be, would be focused on the oil and gas industry. Um, the other one was based in London and the, um, the BNFL one was based in, in West Cumbria at the Delafield site. And I, I thought, well, actually, on balance, I think I'll go, I'll go to Cumbria and this nuclear thing sounds kind of interesting. I'll go and see what that's all about. Um, so that's, I left university and uh, I moved and move to right so it was it was more the sort of place the location of the job almost more than the industry um yes because at the time i assumed i wouldn't stay long so it was really just about getting experience um and a little bit of cost of living as well you know it's going to be much uh, you know much more expensive to live in london um you know and, and growing up in in the highlands and then moving to glasgow you know moving to london is, bit, is quite a big step at 21 um and it probably felt more comfortable than to, to, to move to cumbria and as, as i say i assumed i would be there for a couple of years on the graduate scheme and then probably move on so how, how did you feel on that sort of first day of I, I think it was just hugely exciting you know, yeah. because it's you know it's a very um complicated looking site you know you, you don't know any of what i will plant do when you first arrive of course um, but it looks complicated. You know, you're very aware that there's an awful lot to find out here. There's a lot to learn, um, and it certainly was that right from the right from the beginning. I started, um, although I started in the research and technology part of the NFL, um, that part of the of, uh, the company was starting to get involved in supporting the operating plant. Up to up to that point in time, there was a lot less. The, the research people did the research and the plant operators did the plant operating and there wasn't an awful lot of things between them 
Um, but Thorpe um, was up and running, the ecosystem plants up and running, and there was a lot more interfacing going on between research and development people and the plant operators. And I quite quite quickly ended up working in that on that interface. Um, and I think many in many ways I spent most of my life working on interface between one group of people and another group of people. Yeah. And was there um, particular sort of additional training and development you got on the graduate scheme? Yeah, we moved around every six months for two years. We moved it there every six months. So I, I was able to do quite a variety of different things. I did um, computer modelling. I did more longer term research um, on advanced reprocessing. I spent six months doing nuclear accountancy and safeguards at the on the centre of mock plant, uh, commissioning doing commissioning work. Um, and um, and and then I think six months on um, running um, medium sized rigs in one of the rig halls, I think if I remember correctly. It was quite a while ago now, I have to confess. Um, so yeah, a lot of variety, which I think is absolutely fantastic. It gave me um, a good grounding to be able to get my started engineer um, qualifications two years later as well, uh, because that's all about getting a lot of variety, trying new different things, learning different things, different aspects of, of chemical engineering. So um, I would thoroughly recommend a, you know, a graduate scheme that allows you to get that variety. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's right. And I, I guess were you part of a cohort as well that, that came in together? Yeah, there was quite a big cohort actually across the whole of um, the Sellafield site. And, and again, um, you know, several of those people are still friends now, um, which is just a, a fantastic um, thing to have. Um, and there was a real sense of camaraderie and, um, you know, we socialised together and worked, and worked uh, all across the site as well. Mm, uh, it, that, that sort of, I, I was in touch with a guy who started at the same time as I did in the industry. And uh, yeah, those relationships are quite special, aren't they? Yeah. I think you 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 said in the formative years, and I think they they really are. You know, when you're all finding your feet, um, and um, it, it's nice to keep all the local relationships available. Oh, it's special, yes. So then, um, after your graduate training, you um, worked on a project um, in the US at Hanford. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how that opportunity presented itself and how that uh, progressed? Yes, um, I, I think it was just. It, it was mentioned in a, like a company briefing, you know, after one of these line management cascade briefings that um, that the American part of BNFL, uh, BNFL Inc., um, they had a contract with the uh, U.S. Department of Energy uh, at the Hanford site, and uh, there were opportunities to um, to go and work on that uh, contract for short period of time. And I thought, why not? You know, really, why not? So I. Um, it worked out really nicely. I put I put myself forward for it. Um, my um, uh, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he also put himself forward for it because um, he worked for the BNFL engineering uh, part of, of the business. And independently, we both got accepted and were able to go out there for about a year. Absolutely wow. fantastic. Absolutely wow. amazing. Yeah, what a great experience. Yeah, it really was. It really was. The, the combination of working there and the, and lifestyle and um it was you know, I was in my mid twenties. Mm. Um so it was a great experience. Were you tempted to stay out there at all? Very much so, very much so actually. But um the our visa was linked to the contract and the contract um came to an end. So yeah. unfortunately yeah, we, we came home. But, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. But to have that experience of working in different countries is amazing, isn't it? 
yeah, definitely. And I'm really glad I took it. You know, I, I, it, um, it was something that I had to put my hand up for and say I'm interested. But I'm really glad that I did. I, it's interesting that, isn't it? This sort of putting yourself forward for these sorts of opportunities because um, sometimes people might wait for something to come to them, but to actually, even if you don't get it, you're sending a signal, aren't you, to those you know you work for that you're interested in progressing and and, and getting yeah. new experiences and so on. So it's always a good, it's always a good thing to do. It, it is, and I think I, I'm almost surprised looking back that I did it because it, it was probably slightly out of character in in truth. Um, because I probably wasn't the most confident uh, persons at the time. Um, so yeah, but I, but I did and it worked out absolutely amazing. Yes, yes. So, so was there, you know, sort of when you when they you got the letter or you got, you know, you were told you'd got it, did you have a sort of sense of, oh my goodness me, now I'm going to have to do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they called my bluff, I'm going to have to go. But it, it was just so exciting. It was, it was amazing. And uh, I would, I uh, thoroughly recommend it. We were able to. Um, it was in the design phase of, a, of the of the plant, so I was working again on sort of an interface between um, those who were doing very detailed modelling and the designers. Um, I was doing flow sheet um, flow sheet modelling, and um, every, it was a real sense of purpose that everybody on the um, on the team were working towards one goal. Mm. Uh, I've probably not had that in truth since then, because since then um, everything else I've worked on you're all working on different projects. You might work for the same organisation, but you've got the, the same general aim. Um, but to be in working on a large team with that single goal across the whole team is, is quite an interesting experience. Really cool. Yeah, everyone's sort of pulling in the same direction with a single goal in mind. Yeah. Yeah, that must be amazing. Yeah. So anyway, so you had to come back. <laughs> <laughs> to come back, yeah. Um, and uh, you then... Um, uh, we're a deputy team lead, uh, deputy team manager, and then you became technical manager for the Hales plant. Um, mm. So perhaps just tell people what the Hales plant does, and then what were the sort of challenges and 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 things in that role. So the Hales plant, Hales stands for um, highly active liquor evaporation and storage plant, and it's basically a plant that has um, large numbers of storage tanks and evaporators, um, and um, Really, what it does, it takes the active uh, liquor from the reprocessing plant and evaporates it up, concentrates it up before it can go to the vitrification plant to be made into glass blocks for long-term storage. Um, but it and it, it sounds very very simple, you know. How, what what could be complicated about that? But of course, um, the, the contents of the liquor is is very complicated. It has you know almost all the periodic table in it by that point in time. And um, the interactions between um, all those elements is, is complicated, and it can form. You know, the, one of the big issues at the time was the formation of solids um, in the tanks and in the evaporation, and the problems that that was causing for operation. Um, but it's not just a case of a simple case of well, we'll just go in and have a look and see what's happening because if all of this is behind concrete, you've got quite limited amount of um, measurement opportunities to try and figure out what on earth is actually. In the, in the plant so there's a lot of applying chemical engineering theory um uh, trying to marry that up with um what measurements you can get model uh, modeling work and um also small scale uh, rig trials um inactively to try and piece together all the parts of the picture to work out what you're seeing and what and then what consequences that have for the safety 
Um, so it was a really interesting time to be working on that plant and there was interaction with the um, general regulators, the Office for Nuclear Regulation. Um, and I had never really come across the idea of you know, how you would underpin a safety case through the use of a technical argument um, and how all, you know, how all these parts of the jigsaw actually hang together. So it was a really good experience to be kind of at the sharp end of seeing how um, research and development directly can support the operational plan and support the safety case to build regulator confidence and therefore allow continued operations. It was all very close together. So yeah. fantastic experience. And, and presumably you were having to deal with all sorts of different people with all sorts of different skills. How, how did you find yeah. that? Well, again, uh, I think it comes back to the sort of theme of being kind of on the interface. So I was almost a translator between the plant operators and um, the um, researchers who were supporting the plant and trying to translate what the plant operators needed to know, what we needed to know within the technical department into well, what development or research work do we need to do to be able to answer that question. Um, so that, that was really good experience as well, trying to see things from, from different sides, you know, and how different people look at things, people with, you know, with different experiences and trying to build bridges across between the two of them. Yeah, but that, that, that skill and ability to see things from somebody else's perspective and almost be able to sort of put yourself in, in, in their shoes and, and, and working at Interface where you're doing that with two different sorts of people I mean, yeah. that's, that is a that is a real skill, and um, uh, I mean, I, I always say that you know, a lot of lot of work is about people, and your ability to interact and relate to people is so important. It is, it is uh, definitely. But I also think that actually thinking back to career choice or, or degree choice, I think chemical engineering is actually a really good choice um, because chemical engineers almost always work with other disciplines. Um, they are often at the interfaces and in translating between the different disciplines of engineering. Um, so maybe it was a more of a natural choice than I, than I give myself credit for. So, so then you became um, Special Assistant uh, to the Director of Technology at BNFL. Um, uh, Dame Suian, I guess that was. That was indeed, yeah. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about, about that and what you learned from that experience. I think what I learned from working um, for Sue was really, well, I mean, she was an amazing line manager to work for, for sure. So, so full of energy and enthusiasm. Um, I think what I really learned from that whole experience was a more global view of the nuclear industry, because um, BNFL at, at the time was a, a global company and had affiliations across the world, really. So, for example, we went to um, we went to Japan and met with um, representatives of the Japanese nuclear industry. We went to South Africa and um, met with um, people developing the pebble bed modular reactor in South Africa. And we also went to the States and met with Westinghouse, which was part of the NFL family at the time as well. So um, it was just a completely different view of the world, a different view of the industry. You know, from having gone from you know, plants and cellophane sort of you know, right up to the, the, the global view. Um, it was also the time when the industry was quite strongly making the case for um, the impact that nuclear could have from an environmental impact and uh, carbon reduction. Um, 
um, seeing it from that perspective and, and understanding Euclid's place in the world from that perspective is absolutely formative for me, actually. It gives, you, it gives me a completely different view on the Yes, you see, you, you, all of a sudden you see the whole context of you're working on this one plant, but actually it's part of a much bigger picture, and it's not just a national picture, is it? I mean, you know, yeah. the nuclear industry is connected around the world uh, for all sorts of good reasons. But um, So then you did a number of roles that sort of followed that, and then uh, another one that interested me was you, in 2014, you became head of facilities strategy delivery. Um uh, tell us a little bit about about that. So um, that was a move. I spent all of my time really up to that point on in the in the technical world, I guess, of the nuclear industry, um, working um, on problem solving from a technical point of view, engineering point of view, or technology commercialization. Um, the move to facilities strategy delivery was a completely different thing. So. Um, I was able to work with the people who operated our facilities, um, which and they have a completely different view in the world as well, which you know, I hadn't probably fully appreciated by that point. I learned a lot about um, the, uh, the work which goes on to underpin our building safety cases and security, um, security plans, all of the complexities of keeping facilities safe and secure and operational. Um, a lot of that's kind of hidden when you're more on the technical side of the organisation. So really getting a real understanding of where people who are busy doing those kind of jobs are coming from, I think is, is really important. Um, I was also able to look um, a bit more long term. So the role was really about how will um, our facilities change over the coming years? And how will we need to adapt or um, change our facilities? invest in new facilities, things like that, as the national strategy and the business strategy changes. Um, and um, uh, that was that was uh, an interesting time. It, it, it's kind of difficult, I guess, because a lot of the focus is on the short term. So trying to get that longer term perspective is quite difficult, but it's really important because um, investing in nuclear facilities generally involves reasonable about the money and takes a long time so trying to get that broader view of how things happen um is, is quite important yes yes and um and so when you um look at your current role now as sort of internal regulator are there particular aspects of those some of those previous roles that you've done that have have equipped you really well for, for what you're doing now i i, I think that's really um, I work with other internal regulators who are very focused on um, nuclear safety nuclear security regional health and safety so my appreciation of that from particularly working in the facilities area is um, I, I understand more where they're coming from and what their what their focus is um, but I also have um, nuclear integrity areas about are we doing the right thing um, to support our customers and the technical work that we deliver for our customers, recognising that NNL you know, produces output that supports the customer safety case. So thinking back to my role in Hale and um, the importance of being able to rely on the work that NNL produces, because that our customers there are going to use it to support their safety cases, but it, 
state of operation of the plant. Um, you know, I've been at the sharp end of, of having to rely on that data. So um, that's that's part of my role now as well. So I think um, I think lots of different parts of my career journey so far have come together um, into the role that I'm in now. Yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. And something else that you've started doing sort of more recently is you, you become a sort of mentor uh, for women in nuclear. Tell us a little bit about what's motivated you to do that and how you're finding that. Um, well, it's uh, the reason for motivating you to, to do it really is that I think we've still got some way to go on gender diversity in the industry. I mean, it's definitely improved. You know, I've been in the industry over 20 years now, and it has definitely improved in that time. Um, but um, and far less now am I the only woman in the meeting room. But it still, still does happen, um, you know. And that's it's, that's not right, really. You know, it's a, the, the nuclear industry. I think should reflect the society that, that it serves, um, and we're not there yet. So um, I've um, yeah, I've got involved in a couple of different parts of, of uh, supporting that uh, gender diversity. One is mentoring um, a couple of individual uh, people in terms of supporting them in their career journey. But I'm also working as part of a subgroup under the um, uh, to support the nuclear sector deal target of 40% uh, women in um, in nuclear by 2030. So, and we've still got some quite some way to go on on that. So, I'm working with others across the industry about um, what's the roadmap, what actions are we going to take. What, um, you know, how we're going to measure our progress and um, um, how do we just flag up the importance of making sure that we get a good, uh, diverse recruitment pipeline, really, um, into the industry. How do we keep hold of the women that we've got and don't lose them mid-career um, for whatever reason? Um, and how do we make the industry a more uh, welcoming place for, uh, for women to work? Yes. And, and um, if there's people listening to this who are thinking I'd like to either get involved or make a difference um, on that challenge of 40 percent, you know, um, women in, in the nuclear industry by 2030, what are the sorts of things that you think people can can do? Um, well, there's um, there are local women in nuclear groups um, across the country. So you know, get involved in your local in your local group. Um, they are uh, always looking for people to do things like um, seminars or you know, passing on advice. There may be a mentoring group, um, mentoring course set up in the group nearest to you as well. Um, but there's but there's also things that everybody I think can do around um, making sure that the job adverts are uh, as unbiased as possible. Um, considering flexible working um, as a default option and not assuming that the job's got to be filled by somebody working full time. Um, looking at um, you know, more remote working, and we're all remote working at the moment, really, and then that's actually shown how, how effective it can be in, in, in reality. Um, so just challenging yourself, I think, and others on, on your assumptions that you're making about recruitment and filling, filling a role. Uh, making sure you're not excluding people from uh, opportunities or um, opportunities to contribute by you know, the timing of your meeting or not taking account of people's working patterns, things like that. Um, and I think also if you're somebody who gets involved in a lot of events, a lot of invitations, there's a 
produce different mm-hmm. and give folks in their early years a broader view of the industry than they might get from their, their day-to-day job. Yeah, oh, that's that's really helpful and practical sort of advice. Um, so just thinking over, over, you know, the span of your career, how do you think you've changed as a person? You know, how do you think if you, you met somebody now or you've met somebody when you first came into the industry, what, how do you think you've changed? Um, I think I probably gained a lot of confidence. I was probably not terribly confident when I first started. And I think through doing things um, and getting that experience sort of under my belt probably has um, improved my confidence a little. So I think um, in terms of advice to others, you do things, I think, really, because you learn by doing, I think, very much. And um, I'm not very good at looking backwards, actually. I tend to be looking forward onto what's the next thing that's coming. But I think taking time sometimes to reflect on what you have done and what um, you know, what you've gained from that actually helps with that. You know, actually, I did it then, I can do it again. Or I did that and I didn't think I could, but I could probably do something else. So I think probably it's uh, confidence. I mean, I've learned a huge amount as well in terms of the technicalities of the industry. and sort of pushing yourself outside your comfort zone yeah yeah so so what would be your advice to the younger Sheila who was leaving Fort William to go to Strathclyde University what would you what what advice would you give her as she started her university time I think I think work hard and um and 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 you put your hand up I would say really um probably one thing I didn't do enough of I mean I did work hard but I probably didn't put my hand up um as as, as much and I, ha- I think have to have some confidence in your own abilities really um I remember when I was at school and I had a teacher in fact who um was actually discouraging of the idea that I should do uh, engineering um that it wasn't really a, a, a career for women to choose um and suggested that I did something else entirely. Um, but um, my my dad is an engineer, and um, both my dad and my mum supported, you know, were keen to encourage me to do it. And so then I went off to, to do that at university. And I think just have you know have confidence and try not to be put off by people who are trying to um, uh, prevent you from doing it. <laughs> put you in a certain <laughs> box. Yeah. Sheila will not be put in a box. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Well, I just hope the career um, young women um, at that stage nowadays would not be given the same career advice that engineering is not for them because it's absolutely 100% not the case. Mm. Oh, that's really good advice, Sheila. Oh, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. I, you've got an awful lot on, so I really appreciate spending some no time problem. to talk to us. That's great. Thank you very much, Andrew. enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review thank you